Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. There was an Olympic gold medalist named Daryl Pace, and he was given an archery exhibition in New York City Central Park, and this event received coverage by all the news stations, and so he was shooting steel-tipped hunting arrows. Now, if any of you have ever seen, you know, a steel-tipped hunting arrow, they're absolutely vicious. They are a, a weapon that will knock down all sorts of large animals. So he's shooting steel-tipped hunting arrows and pace punctured bullseyes repeatedly without a miss. Then he called for a volunteer. He says, all you have to do, said Pace, is hold this apple in your hand waist high. And an ABC correspondent, Josh Howell, he took a bold step forward and he stood there, a small apple in his hand and a larger one in his throat. And Pace took aim from about 30 yards away as everyone held their breath. Then thwack, a clean hit exploded the apple before striking the target behind. And everyone applauded Howell, who was all smiles until his cameraman approached him with this look. He said, I'm sorry, Josh. I didn't get it. I had a problem with my viewfinder. Can you do it again? (laughs) How many of you would have faith to try it again? Amen? Don't you dare lie in church, all right? Don't raise your hand. This morning, I've entitled my message, A Childlike Faith. Childlike Faith. And in the next few moments, we're going to be talking about faith, but specifically a childlike faith. How many of us would love to be a child again? Amen. Remember the days, the worst thing that you had to do was go to school and be with your friends all day. Get out of school and come home and eat snacks and enjoy life. You know, it would be an awesome thing to be a child again. Amen. To be carefree. Amen. To be just comforted and provided for. And it's so awesome to to, to be a child, amen, you know, we, we think back to those days and remember those days before that word called responsibility, amen, think back to that day before the word called responsibility, and it's an awesome thought, I dream of, you know, becoming a child once again, my wife and I were outside this past uh, Thursday or Friday, and we, uh, and, and our girls as well, and we have this little fire pit, and so we, we lit up this little fire pit, and we were out there making s'mores, and just enjoy life. And I was telling my wife how much I remember doing this out in the mountains, you know, out in the woods as a child. It was something that we always did. So if you need anybody to make a marshmallow for you, I am the guy. All right. Well trained, well rehearsed. I know how to get it nice and crispy and tan on the outside and gooey on the inside. But how awesome it would be to live as a child again. Amen. It, se- it seems that children really have it made and the truth is that they do because their parents and their grandparents and and elders you know they take care of them and they provide for them amen and we have to worry about things in life now as adults and young adults that they've never thought about amen they don't worry about how to pay the bills they don't worry about you know concern themselves with the issues that our nation faces why because they have a mommy and daddy that provide for them Amen. They're cared for, they're loved, they live life to the fullest, having fun and finding life in the simplest of things because to them everything is awesome. They enjoy their homes, they enjoy creation because it's mommy and daddy's house or property. But can I give you a secret to a child's carefree life? A secret to a child's carefree life is it all begins with their trust and faith in you to provide and care for, and love, and protect, and bless them. Amen? This is why they live in joy and bliss all of the time. Because they know that mom and dad is going to take care of their life. In church, it should be our exact same heart posture and position to trust in our Heavenly Father with a childlike faith. Amen? You might be saying, Pastor Duke, I will never be young again. Never, you know, we can't turn back the hands of time. We cannot go back in time and get younger. I can't take these gray hairs off my chin anymore. 
But if you possessed a childlike faith in God the Father, then you'll find yourself no longer in worry, no longer in anxiety, no longer fretting over things that you have no control about, but you'll find yourself in wonder of this perfect Father that you know. Amen? Because your faith in God will remind you that he will provide. Amen? We just sang that song, that he is a way maker. Amen? How many of you know your Father in heaven to be a way maker in your life? Amen? I've seen God do it in my life countless times. When I thought I couldn't get through another day, when I supposed that the circumstance I was living in and living under was going to take me out once and for all, I got a father that says, I will not let my child falter. I will not let my child go by the wayside. I will not let my child be destroyed by the things and the ways of this world. It will remind you that he can lift your burdens, church. How many of you have ever had the Father lift a burden off of your life? Oh, man, he's a good father. Amen. Can you glorify him? John MacArthur said this, though. He said, you cannot confuse childlike faith with childish thinking. You cannot confuse a childlike faith with childish thinking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul actually likens an infancy state of our spirituality because of our worldliness. Paul says, I would have addressed you as, as elders and I would have addressed you as mature people, but you were an infant in your heart and in your mind because you were talking about people. Go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 3 on your own time. But he starts off that letter by saying, I would have addressed you as a mature individual, as a spiritual adult. But your worldliness has caused you to stay and live in infancy. C.S. Lewis said this, God wants a child's heart and a grown-up's head. Amen. God wants a child's heart but a grown-up's head. How many of you, look at your neighbor, just say grow up this morning. Grow up. Just look at him and say grow up. Why? Because the Lord is more interested in the posture of our heart than us looking the part in front of people. He's more interested in a transformation of our heart, our inward man, our spirit man, than just looking the part in front of individuals. You can look mature and you can look like you've got everything all together, but where is your heart? Is it a state in the state of an infant or is it maturing? Is it childlike? Is it grown up? Is it mature in the Lord? The Lord wants to transform our life, amen? Jesus prayed an interesting prayer in Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. In verse 25, it says, At that time, Jesus said, I'll praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. He says, Yes, Father, for this was for your good pleasure. See, Jesus, if you've ever read this chapter, had just finished renouncing and rebuking the, the surrounding regions and lands because guess what? They had seen miracle after miracle and God was doing a work in all of the regions. Impure spirits were being driven out. People were being healed of sickness and disease. And guess what? He finally gets to these people and he says, listen, if what happened amongst you would have happened in another city, they would have repented. If what happened amongst you and you would have seen this massive amounts of healing, it would have caused those people to fall on their face and worship me, but you didn't do that. You didn't do that because there was a hardness of their heart. There was a hardness of their, of their life. And so he goes on to praise his father. He says, because these hidden things of the kingdom, they're hidden from the wise and the learned. They're hidden from those who think they've got it all figured out. It doesn't matter how old you are. You serve an eternal father. You could be 100 million years old, and guess what? He's still older because he's infinite. He's eternal, and he's been here. He's the one who was and the one who is to come. We must have a childlike heart before the Lord. Everybody say, I haven't got it all figured out. 
Instead, he gives these keys to the kingdom, these secrets of the kingdom. He gives them to those with the heart of a child. In Matthew 13, his disciples asked him this question. Say, why do you speak to people in parables in Matthew 13, 11? And Jesus' response was this. He said, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Jesus was not only saying that children can receive the knowledge of the kingdom, but it was a posture of their heart. Children are the most moldable individuals in the world. Anybody ever heard the saying, you can't teach an old dog a new trick? There's a lot of truth to that. Because the older we get, the more set in whose ways? Our ways we get. And if we're going to be people of God and we're going to be children of God, then we must understand this. Though you mature in the flesh, though you may mature in your mind, though you may mature in certain ways, your posture is never finished. You will always be a child before God. Amen. You will always be a child for God, before God. That is somebody that is teachable. Have you let yourself be taught by him? Last I checked, you know, for those of us who've, you know, graduated, you know, elementary and junior high and high school and college, you can never stop learning. Amen? Some of you got, like, multiple degrees, and that is so impressive to me. The only degree I have is how hot I feel. <laughs> those are the degrees that I have. Hopefully I have a couple spiritual ones hanging on the wall. I have no idea. But one thing I know about being a child of God is that I must always remain teachable. You have not graduated. Paul said what? He said that he had professed to know nothing except for Christ and Christ crucified. This is the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This was an individual that said, listen, I am not a finished product. I'm not done being transformed. I'm not done being a finished work. I am still being worked on by the Lord every single day. We have to have this posture before the Lord. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So that nobody will have a brag right and say, you know what, it's because of me. It's because of my smarts. It's because of my hard work. No, listen, you are only standing and living and breathing today because of the God that breathed life into your body. So that no one can boast before the Lord. He is the one that brings rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's the one that lifts the sun and he's the one that calls the stars to paint the sky every evening. We cannot teach him a thing. In fact, we need to be taught by him. We need to be taught by the Lord. I want us to read Matthew 18 Verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you change. Let me stop right there. Everybody say, I need to change. I need to change. Unless you change, you become like little children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It would be the leper how many of you remember the stories of the leper, the one leper? It was him that had bowed down before Jesus. He kneeled before the Lord because he knew that the healing hand of Jesus was able to provide that miracle that he needed in Matthew 8. It would be Zacchaeus in Luke 19 that would climb a tree because of his height deficiency. Now, I don't know if there's any short people in here, but Zacchaeus can relate. The scripture says that he was deficient of height. He had to climb a tree to get the attention of Jesus. 
But once he got the attention of Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus went into his home, transformed his life. He goes out from himself and he says, listen, I'm not going to let this little deficiency that I'm dealing with right now stop me from getting to Jesus. I'll climb a tree to get his attention. It would be those men who carried their paralytic friend to the temple only to find it too crowded to get into. Remember that story? There was droves of people. There was just masses of people that had been following Jesus by this time in Luke 19. And we find out that there were so many people that the entrances of this temple were packed. It was, there, was, there was just like standing room only. And guess what? They devised a plan. See, you know what? If we can't get in through the door, we're going in through the roof. If we can't get in through the door, we're going in through the roof. And the scripture says that they dug a hole in the roof and they lowered their paralytic friend in front of Jesus so that he could touch them. The reason I mention these instances is because we can so we can see the posture is this is only a child would sit down to be taught like that leper. Only a child would find a, par a, a temple too crowded and they say, you know what, we're going through the roof. Only a child would say, you know what, we'll do anything. We will climb a tree to get to Jesus. But it's those that think that they've got it all figured out that are a little too prideful. We get a little bit stiff-necked and we get a little bit, you know, just kind of, you know, you know, embodied in ourselves, And, you know, we just want to look the part. Lift your hands when DJ says, lift your hands. I'm doing it. Don't scream too loud. Don't cry too much. We try to maintain our dignity before God. And the Lord is warning us, he said, unless you change and become like little children. You know that children, they don't pay attention to the things that you pay attention to. I remember just a couple months ago, we had the kids up here and they were singing in worship with us. Man, they didn't care. They're like, yeah, man, woo. We're like, you know. And there was those two young boys of, of Dr. Celestine. Oh, man, those guys, those guys cracked me up. They're the ones that Pastor was talking to after the service. But those boys, I mean, they went to town for Jesus. What a lesson that we could learn from a child. What a lesson that we can learn from a child, that we have an infinitely great God. We have the God of the heavens and the universe on our side. But sometimes we just get too caught up in our person that we won't worship him. And a child says, guess what? Jesus is here. Jesus is here. I love him. They'll bow down before him. They'll dance. They'll run. They don't care. Oh, man, I wish I was talking to some children today. Lord, help us with our childish thinking. Give us back the heart, Lord, of a child. The heart that loves him. The heart that isn't concerned with what somebody else would think. Make us a child, Lord. A childlike faith will help you to trust in what the Lord is teaching you. You're taking notes this morning. I want you to write that down. A childlike faith will help you to trust in what God is teaching you. I heard it said this way one time that, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in the spirit that only your heart can receive and your mind will catch up later. Amen? Why, does that, why is that true? Because the Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive or perceive the thoughts of God. But your heart can receive them. You may not understand fully how it is that God allows his miracle working power to work through an individual. But you just receive it as a child. And you say, I believe that he can do it. That's it. I believe that God can do it. That God is more than able. And so a childlike faith will help you to trust in what God is teaching to you. Many times God is trying to teach and speak to you on a daily basis, but those who are wise or self-sufficient, they don't listen like a child does. They don't listen the way a child would listen because of faith in themselves. We wonder why God allows certain things to unfold in our life, and we question sometimes why God isn't moving in our favor or why God hasn't responded to a given situation. 
Did you know that the people in Scripture, they were blind to the will of God? They were blind to his purpose. They, they, God had purposed to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. But he had also purposed that the wise should not see the truth. But those that were childlike, those of childlike faith, children are needful. They wake up every day and they know that they have a need for their parents. Did you wake up this morning and say, God, I need you. Father, I desperately need you. Or did you straighten your back and say, you know what? I'm going to church. Children are needful and they understand the need that they have. He had purposed that the wise would not see the truth, but the needful would have the truth revealed to them. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 14 talks about those who think they are wise. He says, but their minds were made dull. <laughs> you think you're wise, but their minds were made dull. You know God that can, God can dull your mind in a second? Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He thought he knew what he was doing. He thought he was all powerful. He thought he could manipulate things. He thought he could run God's kingdom the way that he wanted to. God said, eat grass like a donkey. Their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. And it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Only the Humble in heart, that is with a childlike faith, can receive what Jesus wants to say. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, the God of this age, that is Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, the wise-minded think that because they've learned and have crafted a plan for their life that it's going to be flawless and successful. It's going to achieve for them somehow their the desired you know, accomplishments. But at the end of the day, when we thought we were so smart, God showed us how smart we really are. Proverbs 16 and 9 says this, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 19 and 21 says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Amen. You could be experiencing one of those moments today or have had a recent experience that God chose to use to humble you. Sometimes we think our affliction is from the enemy when it's God testing you. Sometimes we think the hardships that we're facing is somehow, you know, just arrows and darts from the enemy. And I'm not dismissing the fact that the enemy will attack. But sometimes it's our self-sufficiency that opens the door for God to say, I need to humble them just a little bit. I need to show them something. I need to teach them something. And the reason that sometimes these experiences we have is because God allows these moments to happen all the time to teach us how much easier it would be to just trust in him. Never forget the Israelites and their wandering in the desert. Forty years going in circles. I'm 40 years old. Amen. None of you care. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right. Too late. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. I'm 40 years old, but imagine if I had just been wandering aimlessly for 40 years. I would never get to the desired destination that God has for my life. Wandering looks like self-sufficiency. Wandering looks like complaining. Wandering looks like us just, you know, being bitter before God and saying, God, oh, how come you haven't done this and how come you haven't done that? He'll say, wander some more. Wander some more until you're going to trust me. Wander some more until you're going to finally give in and submit yourself to me. Amen. Psalm 33 and verse 10 says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. 
Can you imagine God? He has this national blueprint in front of him. The blueprints of the nations and God's like. He thwarts the purposes of the people. It says, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. He's going to have his way in your life. The question is, when are you going to submit to it? Amen. The question is, when are you going to give up your heart and your right to say, you know what? I don't know. And I haven't got it all figured out, but I'm just going to trust in you, Lord. If we would just place our faith in him, church, he will teach us so many things. And we won't be frustrated feeling like we're bumping our head against the wall sometimes in our relationship with him. When we come before him like a child with a mind waiting to be filled with answers to the questions that plague us, God will take you and reveal to you all things. Mike Glenn said this, we can never know the whole mind of God, but we can sure learn a lot from the thoughts he wrote down. When was the last time you opened the word to learn about the thoughts of God? When was the last time that you opened this book to say, Father, teach me? Show me, O oh God. In Joshua 1 9 says that he would meditate on the word day and night so that he would be successful and prosperous wherever he goes. But if you're not successful and you're not prosperous in the spirit, then guess what? Something's missing. Something's missing. Something's missing. We have to get back to this place where we say, Father, teach me, show me, reveal your truth to me every single day. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. To trust in him fully means that you have to give up your right to understand. <laughs> in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know a child's favorite question is why? <laughs> Anybody ever been in a car with a child on a long road trip? Are we there yet? I drove 24 hours with my children and my family all the way to Green Bay, Wisconsin from South Texas. It was the craziest thing I've probably ever done. 16 straight hours, man. I'm that kind of guy. From here to Kansas City, Missouri in a day, Four states. Dad, when are we going to get there? <laughs> going to get there when we get there. Dad, are you obeying the speed limit? Not necessarily. <laughs> We're going to get there, though, safe and sound. A child always asks the question, why? And the real reason behind that is because they're hungry for answers. They're hungry for knowledge. They want to know. Don't be the parent that says, because I said so. Don't just be that guy. Don't just be that parent that says, just do it. Why? Because I said so. In giving a reckless answer like that, you're not revealing the true heart of a father who desires to reveal all things to his children. Now, I realize there's some topics that we probably don't fully indulge in with our children because they're not of that age of maturity yet. But what's the point? The point is you owe them knowledge. You owe them truth. And the Father will willingly give us all the knowledge and all the truth that we could handle. A simple childlike faith in a divine friend solves all the problems that will come to you by land or by sea. You see, when you come to him as a child, he will reveal truth to you. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 says, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Amen? The second thing is this, a childlike faith will help you trust in God during pain. I know that it's possible that some of you that are here this morning are going through a traumatic time in your life. Maybe you're going through and experiencing a level of pain that you've never experienced in your life up until this day. 
It could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be either inflicted by somebody, or maybe it was even self-inflicted. Either way, church, a simple reminder for this morning is this, is to simply reach out your hands to the heavens to receive help. The universal cry of every single child in this world is the lifting of their hands. The Bible teaches us in the book of Micah that Israel was in great need of deliverance. They were in need of great redemption by the Lord. And the people, they had no righteous leader or no counselor or king at that time. And so Micah was predicting the loss of a king to rule over Jerusalem and Judah. And that king was a visible sign of God's care and protection over the people. And without a king, the people would be, you know, leaderless. They would be defenseless because of the coming judgment in exile. And so Michael, Micah declared that they would writhe in agony. And this is a picture not only of physical pain and suffering, but also mental, emotional, and psychological distress. And the people, they would be completely spent and exhausted by their sufferings like a woman giving childbirth. And Micah, he foresaw the horror of the judgment that was soon to come, and the people would be deported to Babylon. However, prior to that deportation, they would be held in refugee camps, in open fields, and perhaps on their way to Babylon, they would be forced to camp in open fields. And so the people were under a great deal of stress and a great deal of affliction. They had no relief from the pain that was being afflicted on them by their enemies. In fact, their pain and suffering would be as great as a woman in labor. And the Bible says that despite all of those things that was working against the people of God, that the Lord would step in to offer hope. Amen. The Lord had promised to rescue and redeem his people from Babylon. Micah chapter 4 and verse 9 says this. He said, why do you now cry aloud? He said, have you no king? Has your counselor perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor. He says, writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you must leave this city to camp in the open field. He said, you will go to Babylon, but there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hands of your enemies. You know, there's a lot of people that are going through a lot of stress right now. The last few years have been pretty stressful, to say the least. They've worn us down emotionally. They've worn us down mentally. The, the, the actions and the things that we've seen happening in our nation just, just have led to so much division and confusion and hurt and pain. And it leaves you feeling spent and exhausted. And I would think that a people that are in such great deal of pain such great affliction, such great need would respond to this same prayer that they prayed right here. Why do you now cry aloud? He said, have you no king? There's a difference between crying for the king and crying like you have no king. There's a difference in the cry of knowing that you will be rescued or just feeling hopeless. The last time I checked, my God is a God of hope. Amen. My God is a God of hope and glory. Amen. He is a God, the Bible says, that will comfort you in your suffering. So when you cry, you cry to your king. You cry to your father in heaven. You cry with your king in mind. And you never forget from there, the Lord will rescue you. There was a two-year-old young man named David. He had leukemia, and he was taken by his mom, his, uh, her name was Deborah, to Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston to see Dr. John Truman, who specialized in treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. And Dr. Truman's prognosis was devastating. He has a 50-50 chance. And the countless clinic visits and blood tests and intravenous drugs, the fear and the pain, the mother's ordeal could almost be as bad as the child's because she must stand by unable to bear the pain of her child herself. And this young boy, David, he never cried in the waiting room. And although his friends in the clinic had to hurt him and stick needles in his little body, he hustled in ahead of his mom with a smile. 
sure of the welcome that he always got. And when he was three, David had to have a spinal tap. A painful procedure at any age. And it was explained to him that because he was sick, Dr. Truman had to do something to make him better. If it hurts, remember, it's because he loves you, his mom said. The procedure was horrendous. It took three nurses to hold David still while he yelled and he sobbed and he struggled. And when it was almost over, the tiny boy soaked in sweat and tears, looked up at the doctor and he gasped. He said, thank you, Dr. Tuman, for my hurting. See, little David's faith in his doctor made him understand that the pain that he would endure was for his shaping, his healing, his teaching, and his training. Do you still acknowledge your heavenly father during times of pain? Do you still thank him that your pains in this world cannot change his promises for you? See, church, if you're hurting this morning, you want to know what the first thing a child does when they get hurt is they look for their parents and they lift up their hands so that their parents can lift them out of the pain and the hurt and they reach for the comfort that only a parent can offer. Psalm 28 and verse 2 says, Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help and as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Revelation 21.3 gives us such a fantastic promise. It said, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It said, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It says to him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. This is the kind of father that you have in heaven. Are you a child of God this morning? Amen. Then reach out to the Lord in your pain. As we keep going, a childlike faith will keep you reaching for your father. You see, Jesus wants children to come to him. To be loved, to be cared for, to be taught, to be molded, and never to be driven away. Not to be ignored, but just as Christ displayed a love for children on that day, so your father in heaven loves and desires to comfort you. Because once we've felt that unconditional love and embrace of a father, you'll never forget the feeling. Amen? You'll never forget that feeling. I'll never forget when I first learned how to swim. I, I was like about three years old, and, and, and my, my dad had this friend that had this large pool, and, and they would take me to this guy's house, and my dad would get me in the pool, and, and as I, you know, I had like floaties on, you know, he was safe, you know, this responsible guy. Put the floaties on me and, and he, would, he would just, you know, kind of like get me to splash and, you know, just tread through the water and try to get to him. And this went on and went on and went on until I kind of developed, you know, the, the muscles I needed to swim. And then he would take off the floaties and, and he would tell me, he would say, all right, just, just swim to me. Just, you know, and so I'm like a dog, you know, like a golden retriever, you know, going at it, just swimming in the water, just thrashing and trying to get there. And every time, if all of a sudden I got tired, he would catch me. And he'd say, all right, let's try it again. All right, get your breath. And so then, boom, I'd take off again, ah, you know, and I'm splashing and thrashing in the water. And I'd keep going. And as I kept going, he'd just back up just a little bit. He just back up just a little bit. He said, "Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You got it. You got it. You can do it. You can do it." And he would just take me and take me until I couldn't go any longer. Next thing you know, I'm doing laps across the whole pool on my own. Next thing you know, I'm 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 getting all the way to the other side. And there's something that's important about that and understanding that. J.G. Machin said this: "The more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust in Him." The greater our progress in theology and the simpler and the more childlike will become our faith. 
You see, as you grow in the word of God, the more childlike and trusting you should become. Because I knew my dad wasn't going to let me sink. See, the design of the father was never to create independent children like we do in this world. We raise children because the scripture says that one day a man will take a woman to be his bride and they will leave their home. And they will go and they will be united as one flesh, right? And they will go and they will live their life on their own. And as parents, we train our children to be prepared for this world. Amen? We train them in the word. We train them in the things of God. And we raise them up so that they can be godly offspring. Because the scripture, one of the first commandments that God gave us was to subdue the earth. Amen? It was to subdue the earth. That is by the dominion of God to multiply and create godly offspring wherever we went. That's how we operate in the natural, but in the supernatural, in the spirit, God's plan was never to create an independent child. He was never creating us to think for ourselves. He was always his, part of his design to, for us to trust in him, to provide for and to care for and to reveal truth to us and to offer wisdom to us to strengthen our life. This was never more on display when Christ, the Son of God, would say in Luke 22, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He said, yet not my will, but your will be done. That is a 33-year-old man saying, Father, I trust you. I trust you, Father. I trust in your plan. Jesus displayed what it looks like to be a son living in perfect obedience to his heavenly father. He modeled it for us so that we could understand that this was the way. This son, Jesus, was tempted in every way just like you are. But he honored his father. He was, he was you know, without sin. He submitted his life to the father and he yielded all of himself to the father's plan and to the father's will. And even though Jesus, he would go on to start his ministry at 33 years old and he would face attacks and challenges and he would face all kinds of things that the enemy would throw his way. He never lost his childlike dependency on the father, even until his last breath. And for you and I, since we've come to the saving knowledge of a relationship with Jesus, we must never forget that he still longs for your childlike dependency. Every day, wake up and reach out to him. Every moment, call upon him for strength, for wisdom, and for help. Every day, acknowledge him as a perfect father because we never mature out of trust. And finally, a childlike faith will keep you in thankfulness to your father. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 14 says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, Lord, you, you have called forth your praise? And it says, and he left them and he went out to the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Church, it's the praise from children of God that not only riles up the enemy, but it bothers the religious. I'll say it one more time. It's praise from the children of God that not only riles up the enemy, but it bothers the religious. That phrase, they were indignant. They were speaking of the chief priests. We're speaking of the Pharisees. That phrase, they were indignant, meant that they were bothered, displeased, and annoyed. How many of you know, church, that children of the Most High God are always going to get up and brag about their Heavenly Father? Amen? I hope you were like me when I was a kid. I think more times than I can remember, I would tell other kids that my dad could beat up your dad. <laughs> and I meant it. <laughs> if you haven't heard me tell this before, my, my dad was a fantastic boxer. Uh, he was. He was uh, 20 something and oh, he never lost a fight. So I had confidence that he could beat anybody up. I had confidence that if somebody was picking on me, I, I got told one time, maybe you'll pray for me today. The Lord would just restore my breathing. 
But when I was a kid, my breathing was really, really bad. I got told one time by this girl in class that I sounded like an accordion because I was, I couldn't breathe and I was, you know, and I'm, I'm there in class and, and she called me an accordion. And I remember thinking like, man, I'm going to tell my dad. My dad's going to stand in the gap for me. My dad's going to come to the rescue. I had confidence in the father that raised me. Confidence in the man that could only defend me. Confidence in the one who would take a bullet from my life and protected me every day that he was on this earth. I had that kind of confidence in him. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, I inherited a new father. The father of lights. The father who never sleeps or slumbers. The father that's attentive to every cry. The father that would give his son's life for mine. That's the kind of father I inherited. The one the Bible says that whom our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. A father to the fatherless. A hope for the hopeless, the lover of your souls. That father has defeated the father of lies. That father will defend us every single day against the accuser of the brethren. That father will stand in the gap for your life like nobody else will. And that father, church, is always worthy of praise. He is always worthy of our praise. Because when I praise my father, he shows up mighty in battle, church. When I glorify the name of my father, he strengthens me with power from on high. When I praise my father in heaven, he reminds me that I am his child. He reminds me that I am his child. We have a good, good father. Can somebody praise him this morning? When you lift up the name of the father, he reminds the enemy that he is eternally doomed and he is damned forever. Does somebody have a reason to glorify their father in heaven in this place? I said, does somebody have a reason to lift up the name of Jesus and glorify the perfect father that we know? He is good, he is good, he is good, church. Psalm 8 verse 2 says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God uses the worship of your lips to set up a wall as a stronghold that the enemy cannot pass through. Come on, somebody. I said that when you glorify the name of Jesus and when the children of God begin to glorify his name, he sets a barricade around your life that the enemy cannot touch you. That's a good father. That's a good father. That is a good father, church. Oh, man. Oh, man. I wish somebody knew how good this father was. when it seems the enemy tries to corner your life when it seems as though the enemy tries to just get you in that place where you have no reason to praise worship him just thank him even if it costs you everything offer him a sacrifice of praise Paul and Silas were in a prison church imprisoned for their belief in the Father, imprisoned for their belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, imprisoned, they went to jail for their Lord and their Savior. And the Bible says that even while they were bound in chains, Paul and Silas prayed and sang spiritual songs to the, 
heavens and guess what? Their father heard. Their father heard. Their father heard and he says, oh, is that my child worshiping me right now? Is that my child glorifying my name right now? Is that my child worshiping and thanking me right now? Oh, guess what, oh child of God? I'll break every chain off of your life. I will open a prison door and I will set you free because that's what our father does, church. Don't ever lose the ability to brag about your heavenly father. Don't ever stop and say, you know what, I have nothing to be thankful I have everything to be thankful for as a child of God. As I ask you to stand to your feet this morning. Maybe somebody in here has been struggling today to believe that you've been a good child. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you now because you say, you know what, Pastor Duke, there's been times where I've had every reason to believe in this God because he's never failed me, but yet somehow I struggle with unbelief. I've had every reason to trust in his faithfulness, to see his plan fulfilled in my life, to see him provide, but yet somehow, God, I, I, I just, I struggle. Change us, Lord. Change us, oh God. Change our hearts to be childlike, that we don't doubt in this God that we serve. But we would trust him fully in every season of our life. Maybe somebody in this house has been disobedient to his word. And you feel like that child that's not worthy of his love. You feel like that child that has broken the heart of their, their father. I want to pray for you today. And remind you of the type of father that he is the Bible says that when that prodigal son went off and wasted his inheritance ran off into the world and just did everything that was displeasing to his father the moment that he had a change of heart the moment that he recognized that he was living in sin and rebellion and he turned his face back towards his father the Bible says that the father saw him from a long ways off. And he ran to his son. He took off his robe and he clothed him with that robe. And he took off his ring and he placed it on his finger. And he celebrated the fact that his son came home. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.